to bring everyone back up to where we are, Revelation chapter 1 begins by telling us what this book is about. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. That's very simply to show us that this book is about the future. That sounds easy enough to understand. Goes on to say in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in them. For the time is near. You see, this book is a book about the future. And this book is meant to be a blessing for those who hear and apply what it says. And that's really simple to understand. This book can be simple unless you come to the book believing that it doesn't mean what it actually says. If you come to the book thinking that everything is symbolic, then it probably could be pretty difficult. But that's not what we find in the text. It seems to be straightforward. And we can go to the other side of that and take what it says and speculate when the text is not clear. Some people ask me about this kind of thing. They ask me about America and Russia and the end times. And the book of Revelation doesn't get that specific. So I can't get that specific. So I can only go as far as the text goes. But what this book is meant to do is provide us with a blessing in as far as we know it and apply it. And I would encourage you, to the best of your ability, especially on a Lord's Day when you give this day to the Lord to spend a good amount of time reading God's Word and even chunks of this book. I find that this book is much easier to understand if you read it. And while there are a lot of different ways of interpreting it, I find that if you simply read it, it becomes much clearer how you should interpret the book. Now our study has brought us all the way to chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, and now in 8, we see that Christ Jesus is reclaiming the earth, and he is unfolding a sevenfold judgment against the earth. In chapter 6, we studied the first six of those seals, and today we come to the seventh. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider today the seventh seal opened. Father, as we come to you today, we ask that you would bless us as we understand what this is saying, and all the more as we apply what it says. And indeed, Lord, this is a passage that we must apply, each one of us. And we ask for help to do that, knowing that you'll give us the grace that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. As you can see here on the right, family dinners is one of the best times of the day. Family dinners are a time when each member of the family who has been working all day or playing all day or at the store or in the house, all the family gathers to share a meal. And when it's time to eat, we all take our place at the table. And we wait for the rest of the family to arrive because... We want to make sure everyone's there before we begin, before we thank the Lord for our food. And sometimes that waiting can take a long time, perhaps because one of the children is still washing his hands or because the last details of the meal are being put together or perhaps dad is still outside in the barn. 
But once each person is seated around the table, we bow our heads and thank the Lord for our meal. Now, those kind of family dinners, they reflect a certain kind of beliefs about God, about the family, and about manners. And likewise, as we look at Revelation 8 this morning, we're going to see that there are certain ways that God chooses to act for his glory. And perhaps our part in his plan may need some attention. So let's keep that in mind as we go through this passage. Revelation 8 opens with a climactic moment because this is the seventh and last of the seal judgments. So we need to rewind just for a moment and build up to this point. So will you turn back in your Bibles very quickly to Revelation 4.2. I'll get everyone on the same page with where we are. Revelation 4.2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a white throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Chapter 5, 1 and 2. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Verse 6 and 7. Between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders... I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Chapter 6, verse 1 and following. Now I watched when the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. Verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. Verse 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, for the witness they had borne, they cried with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge? Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who were given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Chapter 8, verse 1. And when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was... For a half hour. Silence for a half hour. You know, from the glimpses we've had into heaven, silence is not normal because heaven is a place of rejoicing. But at that time in heaven, something terribly unique will take place, and that is silence. And this silent scene actually delays the action of the sealed judgments. 
It delays the action because the judgment is still going on, even beyond the silence. Those of you with the New American Standard see how this whole chapter begins with the word and, 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 and. There are no breaks. It keeps going. So let me read it and string some verses together, verses 1, 2, and 7. And I want you to compare this in your mind to what we read in chapter 6 about four horses with the first four sealed judgments. Just listen for a moment. Chapter 8, verse 1. The Lamb opened the seventh seal. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood thrown upon the earth. And the second sounded, and the third, and the fourth, etc. And that sounds like a climax. That's what we'd expect in the seventh seal, the last of the seals. And in many ways... This is like a fireworks display. You know, when you watch a fireworks display, people sit there and they ooh and ah as each one is shot off. But at the end of the fireworks display, there's something unique and different. And even sometimes there's a moment of silence. And then there's the finale, where fireworks are shot off rapidly, lighting up the sky for a glorious conclusion. And in a similar way... We read through the seal judgments, one by one by one. But now in the last seal judgment, there are many judgments. That is to say, in the seventh climactic seal judgment, there are seven more judgments. So this seal includes both silence and seven trumpets. So we see in verses 1 and 2, silence in heaven and trumpets given to seven angels. You see, what's the expectation? If there's silence, if instruments are given, the expectation is that some point those will be sounded and more judgment will come. So that is to show us that the Lamb's judgment is anticipated by the silence and the seven angels given trumpets. More judgment is coming. The question is, why is there a delay? Why did I skip over verses 3, 4, 5, 6 and continue on with the judgments in verses 6 and following? Why are seven angels given trumpets, but they're silent, like an orchestra before the conductor enters? They stand there ready, but not yet playing. Something else must take place before the judgment may continue. There's something in between that has to take place before the judgment can go on. And this is very similar to chapter 7. It's not the same, but it's similar. In chapter 7, we saw the angels standing positioned to harm the earth. And then another angel is introduced and acts to seal the servants of God. That's what had to take place before the earth could be harmed. Now in chapter 8, Angels are given trumpets, and another angel is introduced and acts. Look at verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. Now, those are things that we're not used to, so let's get a little background. A censer was an open pan, like a shovel. It typically had a long handle, and it was for the purpose of carrying coals. In the Old Testament, a priest would use the censer to transport coals of fire from the great brazen altar that was outside of the holy place 
to inside the holy place to the altar of incense. That was just before the veil leading into the most holy place. That altar was 18 inches by 18 inches. It was smaller than this pulpit right here. But it was right before the veil. Inside the veil was the Ark of the Covenant, unique presence of God. And the purpose of this altar of incense was to burn incense upon it. This angel was given incense. Now, incense in the Old Testament was a special mixture of three compounds in equal parts. And this incense would be scattered on the coals of the altar. It would ignite, and it would release a cloud of smoke with a sweet smell that would rise before God. And that was done daily in the morning and evening sacrifices and then on the Day of Atonement. You recall, often during the Christmas season, the story of Zechariah the priest in Luke chapter 1. He was the priest who performed this duty of burning the incense. And do you remember what the faithful people of God were doing outside when Zechariah was burning the incense inside? Luke chapter 1, verse 10. The whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Prayer. Now look at your Bibles at verse 3 and 4. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers. Now, who is praying? It says the prayer of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So these prayers of the saints ascended to God. Revelation 8, 1 and 2 show us that heaven stands in silence, ready for the Lamb to execute judgment. But there's a pause. Because in verses 3 and 4, the Lamb is waiting for the saints to pray. You see, when God's people are waiting for God to act, it's because God is waiting for His people to pray. God is sovereign, yet He chooses to act in response to prayer. He is working His will every day, but part of that will is worked out as His people obey Him. So, for example, people are converted when we obediently proclaim the gospel. People are sanctified to be more like Christ when we obediently intercede for them. And sinners are converted when they obey the gospel and call on the Lord to be saved. You see, the execution of the seventh seal could have taken place straightforward. We could have skipped from one, two, to six and seven and gone on with the judgment. However, the Lamb chose to wait for the saints to pray. So the judgment of the Lamb is anticipated by the prayers of the saints for justice. And this ought to solidify in our hearts how significant prayer is. Prayer, many times, seems to be, be futile. Seems to be that. Because we come up from prayer and perhaps nothing has changed immediately. But friends, there are troubles in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, in our community. And we might hope that God would do something about it. And while we're waiting for God to do something... He is waiting for us to pray about it. God's waiting for you to pray about the sin that so easily besets. 
God's waiting for you to pray about the marriage that's full of tension. God's waiting for you to pray about your unsaved child, your unsaved neighbor. God is waiting for you to pray, and the list goes on. The truth is that often, God delays until we pray. God wants us to get in sync with his plan. So just as the martyrs under the altar prayed for God's judgment to come, so all the saints here pray. They pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's response is demonstrated by the action of the angel. Look at verse 5. The angel took the censer, that's like the shovel, took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it, he threw the fire to the earth. And the result was there were peals of thunder and rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. God is ready to act because his people have prayed. You see, God waits until his people pray to carry out his plan. We see that given the fact that the judgment of the Lamb was executed when the saints had prayed. So then the rest of the chapter is the outworking of that very point. It's through prayer that God carries out his plan. Because once the saints have prayed, the judgment of the Lamb is executed. Look at verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Now the judgment is coming. There's been a delay, so God's people can pray. And now the Lamb enacts four trumpet judgments against the earth. These judgments are unique in that we notice, who are they against? They're against natural objects. And thereby, they impact man indirectly. Not directly, but indirectly. These are the judgments that we saw, anticipated in chapter 7, where the four angels stood at the four corners of the earth, holding the winds, ready to harm the earth and the sea. And now that is about to take place. Let's read it fulfilled in verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet. There followed hail and fire mixed with blood. These were thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. This first trumpet judgment burns up a third of earth's vegetation. And it included hail, which is solid ice that follows from thunderstorms. Now, hail comes in different sizes. The largest hail recorded to date came in South Dakota in 2010. And it was the size of a volleyball. Hail this size, weighing two pounds, coming down from heaven at over 100 miles an hour, that could do some damage. And this kind of hail storm has happened in the past. Remember in the Old Testament, we read in Exodus chapter 9, the seventh plague of Egypt, that hail fell upon the Egyptians. And we read in the conquest of Canaan that hail fell on those who ran away from Joshua and the army. Joshua chapter 10. And what may be even more chilling is what we find in the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, chapter 38. Have you seen the storehouses of hail, God asked Job, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? God has a whole supply of hail ready for this day. 
This judgment also included fire. I don't believe that's lightning because John knew what lightning was and he used the word. used it just in verse 5 a moment ago. But this was a firestorm that would fall upon the earth. And this kind of thing has already happened. Because when Sodom and Gomorrah were judged in Genesis 19, fire fell upon them. And archaeologists believe they have found the site. This judgment also included blood, which that hasn't happened, but you can imagine this is horrific. Blood falling down. The result is that a third of the earth is burnt up. Just think about that mathematically for a moment. Our world is covered by 70% water. Only 30% of our world is land. And a third, perhaps, of that land is burnt up. And it's so hot that it burns up all the grass, but it's not hot enough that all the trees are destroyed. Only a third of that. But just think of all the smoke that would come from a fire that size. This is far-reaching in its impact, but it's also measured. It's not everything is burnt, only a third. The point is that God is going to destroy what some people worship today. You know lots of people who love nature, who worship nature. One day, God who made the trees is going to burn a third of them up because he's greater than all of them. We turn to the second trumpet judgment. This is verses 8 and 9. The second trumpet judgment. This is a judgment that destroys a third of earth's sea. Look at verses 8 and 9. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like, that means not exactly this, but something like this, like a great mountain burning with fire and was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now this could be an asteroid on fire that falls into the sea. That would be our oceans. Young people, how many oceans are there? You know, when I was growing up, I thought there were four. But now they say there are five. <laughs> the Arctic, the Pacific, the Indian, the Atlantic, and now the southern oceans. And this will strike somewhere in one of those saltwater bodies. And it says that a third of them will turn to blood. Some people think that's something like a red tide that would kill the animals in the ocean. But John knows how to say it became like blood. He didn't say it would be like blood. He said it would become blood. Young people, has God ever turned water into blood? In the first plague in Egypt, Exodus chapter 7, we see that God turned the Nile into blood. And it made the Nile inhabitable. And that's exactly the case here in chapter 8. Furthermore, it goes on to say that a third of the ships are going to be destroyed. You say, well, why? Because when something that size hits the ocean, it's going to create a tsunami that has never been known to man. It's going to destroy them. The largest tsunami to date was in 1859 in Alaska. And this is how high the wave was. 1,000. 720 feet tall. Now imagine how that is going to impact shipping. Shipments from China. Shipments from all over the world. And what that kind of wave is going to do to world commerce. 
You see, so many people give their time and attention to the things that they can buy and have and they've received because of some shipment. And God is going to wreak havoc on the world, the world of commerce, by his judgment on the sea. Now we come to the third trumpet. And this third trumpet judgment poisons a third of earth's fresh water. Look at verses 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it was made bitter. Bitter. This burning star is likely not a star that you and I think of. Because the word star at this time, back in the 90s, the 90s being not the 1990s, but the real 90s, time that John wrote this, a star was any glowing body. The same as we saw in chapter 6, verse 13. And this glowing body would fall on earth's fresh water and its sources and make a third of them bitter and undrinkable but people are going to drink it, and many will die from it. Many will die from it. Now, you know that I hail from the state of Michigan, and my backyard was basically two of the Great Lakes. So at this point, I had to do a little bit of study and research. We know that the earth is covered by 70% water, but only 2.5% of that water is fresh water. The Great Lakes have 20% of Earth's fresh water. That's 5,500 cubic miles of fresh water. There's also a lake in Siberia that has 20% of the Earth's fresh water. But it really makes me wonder, where is this burning, glowing body going to hit? I don't know. But I know one of the places that might get it. I don't know. God is going to strike one of man's most important necessities. He's going to strike our water. The fourth trumpet judgment, verse 12. The fourth trumpet judgment darkens a third of earth's light. Verse 12 says, The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. Now, we don't know from the text what it took to darken these bodies. We just know that they were darkened. And we're not sure if that means that the lights are kind of dimmed 30%, they're on dimmers, or if it means that a third of the daylight, a third of the, third of the moonlight didn't happen. The sun was off. We don't know. But you can imagine how much this would impact life, how much it would impact agriculture without the light, navigation without the light, human health without the light. You think of our winter dreary days, how hard they can get, how depressing they can get. Imagine a third less light. Imagine what it will do to human productivity. The lists go on. But this sort of dark judgment is something that has actually already happened. Young people, when did this kind of thing happen before? In Egypt, where God put black darkness over Egypt for three days. Yet where the Israelites were, it was light. The prophet Isaiah taught this about God in Isaiah 45. I form light and create darkness. I create darkness 
I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Now, having read all these things that the Lamb of God is exacting on the earth through these angels, do you believe that God will do this? He has done it in part before. He promises that one day the one who made the earth will wreak havoc upon it. But as we read through all these judgments, you see how measured they were, which demonstrates God's mercy? We need to see this. Turn back to chapter 6, verse 8. Chapter 6, verse 8. This is the fourth seal judgment. The pale horse comes, and it says the authority was given for over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword. A fourth of the earth's population dies. Then we turn to chapter 8, and again and again and again, 12 out of 15 cases, a third of the earth is directly impacted. And a third is more than a fourth. And it's going to get worse as the judgment go on. That is to say, in this chapter, the earth is directly impacted. It's land and sea, it's lakes and lights, and many people are going to die. But then we read verse 13 and see that the Lamb warns that the remaining trumpet judgments are going to be against the earth dwellers. They're going to be against people. Verse 13, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe! Now, should we be surprised that an eagle can speak? No, we've read Genesis 3. We've read Numbers 22. We know serpents can speak. We know that a donkey spoke. Not a problem with an eagle speaking. He cries with a loud voice so everyone can hear. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. The point is the judgments are going to get even worse. And justice is going to be done to those who dwell on the earth who don't fear God. And here's our reference to these earth dwellers that we saw back in chapter 3, verse 10. Back in chapter 3, verse 10, God promised this to the saints of Philadelphia and to all faithful saints by extension. Because you have kept the word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial, from a time of trial. That is coming on the whole earth. What's that time? The one we're reading about. According to verse 10, it is to try those who dwell on the earth. These judgments are meant for them. God's promise is that he will keep us, his people, from that time. That's an encouragement. These things we're reading about, If you know the Lord, you don't have to worry about experiencing them. But even those who live during this time, there is hope for them. If we go to Revelation 14, 6 and 7, there's going to be an angel who flies over the earth. And he cries out as the eagle does. And he says this, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made. Now listen to this list and compare it to chapter 8 who made heaven, all those things up there, 
that we see at night, who made all those things, who made heaven and earth and sea and springs of water, the exact same recipients of the first four trumpet judgments. We're supposed to see here that there is an invitation for those who dwell on the earth, even at that time in the end, to call on the Lord, that God will save them and have mercy upon them. Joel repeats that in Joel chapter 2. I will show you wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire, columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good news. Because at that time, at the worst of times, God is willing to extend mercy. And I tell anyone here who doesn't know the Lord as personal Savior, God is willing to show you mercy today as well. If you'll call on him to be saved. See, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, God has chosen to work in conjunction with prayer. That is to say, God will save the one who calls on him. Have you done that? God will answer his children who pray to him. Are you doing that? That's how God chooses to operate. He is waiting for people to pray. Just as we wait at the dinner table for all of our family members to join us at the table, before we bow our heads. And let's close in this fashion. Since this passage calls us to pray, let's close our service in silent prayer. And then Agnes, a few moments later, will close with the postlude. Let's all pray in silent prayer to the Lord in a way that applies what we've learned today.